This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to self-work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford and I'm so glad you're here. There are some people who can take the most difficult situations and find the humor in them. Kathy Sikorsky is one of those people. I met her several years ago at a Midlife Bloggers Association meeting and became an instant admirer. I tried several years ago to have her as one of my first guests, but didn't know what I was doing and completely bungled the recording. So she's patiently waited until I knew what I was doing, and in her very positive outlook kind of ways, that it was the perfect time now. Who is Kathy Sikorsky? She's been a significant caregiver for the last 20 years, but in addition to that, she's been a practicing attorney in her own practice, dealing largely in elder law. With over 12 years of education and issues dealing with Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. She began her legal career in general practice in a small town where she grew up and was known to a large contingent of the population through her family. Many of her clients were older adults, which lent her practice to dealing with elder issues. During that time, Kathy went on leave to attempt stay-at-home mothering and ended up staying at home and mothering all kinds of people. First, her nana came to stay, and there have been many others that needed her care. She's also the author of several books, the first being Showering with Nana, Another Who Moved My Teeth. (laughs) Today, we're going to discuss two more that outline very eloquently how to talk to your loved ones about their end-of-life plans, or what needs to happen when dementia is in the picture. The name of one of the books is 12 Conversations, How to Talk to Almost Anyone About Long-Term Care Planning. Not the most fun conversation to have, but a vital one. Before y'all meet Kathy... Let's first hear from AG1. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system support. I take it in the morning before starting my day and I make sure and leave it out for my husband because he tends to forget. I love knowing that I'm starting my day so incredibly well and I wouldn't change a thing because it's really helped me the last two or three years I've taken it. And here's a fact. Since 2010, they've improved their formula 52 times in the pursuit of making this nutrition supplement possible and the best it can be. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash selfwork. And that's a new link, drinkag1.com slash selfwork. Check it out. And so now I proudly (laughs) and finally introduce you to Kathy Sikorsky.
Well, you and I have known each other, Kathy, gosh, for 10 years, maybe? Nine? I, I don't know. A long time. We've grown up a lot in the years that it's been. So I'm going to go, yeah, a long time. <laughs> yeah, a long time. Well, I think I met you uh, when we were all meeting at Midlife Boulevard and that kind yep. of thing, right? Right. Yep. That's what we I remember. In Nashville, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That huge hotel. That, yeah, it was great. And I have loved your work since. Um, tried to have you on as one of the first guests of self-work. And I had no idea what I was doing technically. And I botched it. And I practically was in tears and said, I'll have to have you back on. And six years later, here we are. <laughs> hey, but, you know, a lot has happened in six years. And honestly, right, this is the universe because now is a really good time for us to talk. I have, yes. and you have, refocused our work many times. Right. And the refocus has helped us be better um, Sherpas for people Great in word. women, especially, but people mm-hmm. uh, in what we're trying, the message that we're trying to get out, right? And yeah. so I'm happy that it took six years. I, I, I really am because I'm better <laughs> well, focused about what I want to say. <laughs> well, you are incredibly kind. Your first book that I read was Showering with Nana. Yeah. And I, it brought tears to my eyes and I... I just loved that book. For those of you who don't know Kathy Sikorsky's work, basically, I mean, she's she's gone. And I want you to tell your story, but you've gone from being someone who was caring for a lot, as I understand it, gone from a family member, a friend who was caring for a lot of people who were getting older and having those kinds of problems, to then you earned your elder law degree. And and really have changed your whole life. And so I greatly admire that because it's it's something where you have said, let me take what life has given me and then be able to have the experience on a lot of different levels, both personal and professional, so that I can really help other people. And I wanted you on because I think this is so important um, that we talk about um, elder care and um, everything you talk about. You have two new books. Uh, that you sent fairly new who moved my teeth which i after i read this i peppered my husband with questions about do we have that do we have this do we have this and then i, I read until about ten thirty last night uh 12 conversations how to talk to almost anyone about long-term planning and so i have both of those books here with questions uh so tell us a little bit about your story first so, so yeah i'm so happy that you brought up the fact that my life, what happened in my life really informed and changed the way I decided to have a career. Because I think especially women, we get very feeling trampled down about what life is throwing at us and how we can't go do the thing we thought we wanted to do or what we should be doing or how we thought life should let us do this thing, right? We feel very trampled by by caregiving, by caring for our children, our parents, our, our our spouses or whatever. And yet it's an expectation that right or wrong, and a lot of times wrong, comes with just being a female, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I became a caregiver for eight different family and friends over the last 30 years. And honestly, this is a job for me that 
happened out of certainly love and respect for people in my life. My grandmother, my aunts, my, you know, my very good friend who fell down a flight of stairs and had no one to care for her and had a traumatic brain injury. My brother-in-law, my sister passed away and he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, the worst possible kind. And so I became his primary caregiver. So my only point being about that, that you made, which was, uh, there were times when I was mad about that. Like, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't yeah. what I think my life is supposed to be about, right? I have dreams. I have aspirations. And it turns out that that's exactly what <laughs> my <laughs> dreams and aspirations were all about. It was taking my life experience and turning it into the person I wanted to be, which was this speaker, author, educator about something really important that I learned that I could share with people to help make their lives better. Was that even close to anything that you had predicted or dreamed or wondered about that maybe that's the direction your life would go? Was it anywhere close? No. Well, I didn't know it, but yes, because here's the thing. I wanted to be an actress, okay? I was a theater major in college (laughs) um, for a couple years, and then I realized two things. I had a boyfriend. I couldn't spend any time with him, and I wasn't sure I could make any money being an actress, right? It's the poor girl's way to, to go about it. Maybe. I don't know. Lots of people make money and lots of money. But so then my other dream was to be a lawyer, which is exactly what I did. Um, but mm-hmm. in my mind, it was the the Clarence Darrow, the you know the big trial lawyer who was going to save and help people by you know making these great trial things where, like you see on television, the big surprise ending or whatever. All of which, of course, has an acting component to it. May yes. I add, right? Yes, of course. So what that means for me, really what that meant for me is two things. I really wanted to help people and I wanted to be in front of audiences in some fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. And Margaret, that's exactly what I do. Wow. That's exactly what I do. Exactly. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. It's giving me goosebumps. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, how when you say you got angry about it, it, mm. it it's I mean, that's a lot of people to be primary caregiver for. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Was there no one else? Did you just do it better than everyone and you knew you did? Did you, was it just, everybody, that's the way your every, life turned yeah, out? Everybody mm-hmm. in your audience probably is a caregiver on some level, of let's something. be honest. Mm-hmm. And 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 the caregiving, you know, I say the joke is the train comes to my door and stops and everybody gets off. I mean, two things happened. Number one, like my grandmother in that book, my first book, Showering with Dana, she came to live with me. And I had a two-year-old at the time. Mm-hmm. So I had a 92-year-old and a two-year-old. Which is a hilarious book, by the way. Thank you. They were, they definitely wanted to, you know, gang up on me and see what they could do, get away with. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked a lot. Um but they, but that experience then led to, you know, other family members, both on my side and my husband's side, needing care. And as I'm doing this, as you remarked, I, I was a, I was a small town lawyer at the time. Mm-hmm. And as I started to formulate my practice around elder law, which is really kind of a new area of law, mm-hmm. it is not. It is not the ancient law of, you know, criminal law and trial law and even a state law, which goes back hundreds of years. 
elder law is new because it's it's about Medicare and Medicaid and nursing homes and, you know, things that have been growing and growing and growing during our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But I needed to know this stuff because the people I, were take, I was taking care of were old people. And then I was taking care of not so old people, but who were also in a system of Medicare and Medicaid because of their illnesses, their dramatic illnesses or whatever. So I, I just had to learn it. Sure. And then I became an elder lawyer, you know, because of that. Is that an actual uh, specific, specific law. law degree? It isn't. It isn't okay. a law degree. There are certifications. That certifications. You can take. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And there are classes now. I would say they're fairly new in law school. Law schools are okay. now offering elder law classes. Um, and it is definitely a specialty in law, for sure. Okay. It's, so that's really what I do. I try to teach everyone out there why you need an elder lawyer. What is it that you need and what is different about elder law as opposed to any other? Well, you make that point very well. <laughs> Again, so, but the point being that I think some of us do go on autopilot, even if we're aware of these kinds of things. And then other people just simply don't want to think about it. You know, I grew up the daughter of a funeral director. And we, I mean, death was a part of life. I heard about people dying every day. And so I have a little bit of a different take on it, I think, because of that. But certainly in my practice now for a long time, I, you know, mortality is something that an illness and losing control, I mean, it's something that we all fear so much. Look at what's happening to Bruce Willis right now. I mean, he's mm-hmm. taking the very brave step of letting some information out about it, front frontotemporal dementia or something like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, good for him, but it's also very frightening. And uh, I think probably how many people have said, I'd rather just be hit by a bus than develop Alzheimer's. So here's the thing, though. It doesn't work that way. That's the problem. It doesn't work that way. And by ignoring at your peril, not taking getting your affairs in order, Mm -hmm. you really make it hard for the people who love you. That's right. And that's not what you want to do. That really, I really believe in my heart that is not what you want to do. You don't want to make it hard for the people who love you. And so, especially in my world where I deal with people who are sick, I deal with people who are incapacitated. So, mm-hmm. so Bruce Willis is a perfect example of being so generous of spirit, his family to share this diagnosis with the world, which is quite frankly a horrific diagnosis. Yes, mm-hmm. Um, to say we've been dealing with this. We now know what it is, and we're going to continue to deal with it. But you can absolutely pretty much ensure that they have their affairs in order. So in other words, Mm -hmm. during the journey, when they were trying to figure out the problem, they made sure that their powers of attorney were in order, that that those powers of attorney let them do what they want them to do. Because it's like you said, sure, you sort of know about it, you hear about it, you have it, but did it really do what you wanted it to do? Mm -hmm. Which is why I talk about it more specifically in the book so people know what questions to ask. What kinds of questions am I supposed to be asking about this document that somebody has shoved under my nose to sign, right? Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I did not read all of Who Moved My Teeth, but the the picture of the book that I got was certainly there's a lot of information about exactly what you just said at the beginning of the book. And then the latter part of the book is more... um, 
uh, well, Pract- it's sort of practical, pragmatic practical advice thing. for caregivers for really yes. when you're stepping into it. How do I talk to my person who, you know, how do I spend a whole day with someone who's quite frankly making me insane with it, the same questions or, sure. you know, what kinds of things can I do? are they acting crazy? Maybe they have a urinary tract infection, and I never knew about that. I was going to ask you about UTIs, because that's really a big deal. You know, before we move on too much, there's a young man I worked with several years ago now. He lived on a farm kind of complex. All his family lived together, and he adored, adored his grandmother. And she was diagnosed with, with a terminal illness, and she refused to talk with him about her dying. And I'll never forget, he came, this young man was tough as a brick, you know, and a, reared on a farm and used to, I mean, he didn't, I mean, the fact that he even came to therapy was a minor miracle. But he said, it's just like there's this, she's gone, she was dead by the time he came in. And she mm. said, he said, I never got to talk to her about how I was going to miss her and what I loved about her. And I know that's a separate topic in many ways from some of the more legal things, but not really. I mean, it's all intertwined, isn't it? Yes. And I love that because these legal things are an act of love. Yes. This is an act of love, both for you as the person who is doing it and for you as a person who's saying, mom, dad, I want to spend time with you. I just had this conversation with two, three daughters who, who have a, a podcast as well, which, which we talked about doing that. But, but they, they said we had to step in so quickly as caregivers. We didn't get the end of times as daughters. Right. And, and I have read this again and again that people would so much more rather be grandsons and daughters and loving spouses rather than caregivers trying to deal with paperwork and, you know, and hospitals and doctors and anything you can do to make the hard road, the, the, the legal road, the paper, anything that you can do to make that crisis part of the road smoother gives you time to be a loved one. Oh, that's a great point. It's such a significant one. Um, it, this The other book I talked about, 12 Conversations, really does Pick out, you know, how do you talk to your dad? How do you talk to your mom? How do you talk to your siblings? How do you talk to your children? Um, and I, I, I loved a lot because you actually then have dialogue that we can read and go along with it. And you make jokes along the way. I love one of them called, I mean, I, 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 I dog-eared it. What was it? You said, um, let me see. It says, as you go through this chapter, you'll begin to understand that although this basic paperwork is crucial, it is the tip of the iceberg, and we are on the caregiving Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was good. (laughs) Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? (laughs) And you're right. It's inevitable. You know what's going to happen eventually. Um, I've been on a hospice board for, or I was on it for many years, and you know, heard a lot of stories about how people handle palliative care and hospice and was thinking about that as I read your books. And um, But I, I love the specificity of, of what you talk about in Who Moved My Teeth, for example. You literally have a list of 60 ways to be more patient. 
you know, everything from count to 10 to drink a large glass of water, <laughs> change what you're doing, take a bath, put gum in your mouth, <laughs> tell a joke, take a picture, order food, put lotion on you or your loved one, clean out a drawer, go through family photos, dance, bake, color in a coloring book. Tell a story. I mean, it's just these, I love the specificity of this. And that gives not only you control, but the, but your loved one, right? right? So whether they have dementia or they're just ill or they're just homebound or, you know, everyone doesn't have dementia, Margaret, or, you know, caregiving isn't, isn't just for those people with dementia. Like it, it, it extends Mm-mm. itself to lots of different kinds of people and their, their challenges. But if you are, for instance, coloring with them, it just gives them some control. Here's your page. Here's my page. You can sure. pick your crayon. You can pick your colored pencil. And even that that little tiny weird thing of the two of you sitting there. You know, adult coloring was a big deal oh, several yeah. years ago, right? Especially during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's or puzzling, right? To putting mm-hmm. puzzles together. It's because two things. Number one, it's, it's kind of like, uh, what's that called? Parallel play. Mm-hmm. Right. So so you're both doing something. You're both feeling in control of the situation. And yet you're not necessarily having to engage, which sometimes disengaging is good. Right. Yeah, sure. So so any of those things is is, yes, certainly helpful to you as the caregiver, but it's probably also helpful to the person you're caring for as well. Mm -hmm. And they have much less control over the situation than you do. Let's be honest. And and them accepting that. I, I recently had a, a, a benign tumor removed, and my son, who's 28, came and stayed for three weeks to help take care of me because it was a more serious surgery and that kind of thing. And we sat down and had a talk about, okay, let's let's talk about what's in our future. And, you know, you are our only child, and, you know, what – what comes to you now? And he looked at us and said, well, I think I'm probably going to have to move to Fayetteville, Arkansas, or you're going to have to move where I am, one of the two, eventually. And and we talked about timing, and, and I decided after reading your book that the next time he comes, I'm going to ask him to stay another day and go over, go to our lawyers with us and talk about these documents that we've signed that he's named in, but he was... But he was 16 or 17 when we did them. Right. So he needs to hear about it and know what's going on. And, and I, I loved that taking that was my own personal takeaway from your book. Um, and I, I think that that is so important for people. And, and again, doing it when you're 40, I mean, uh, waiting, you know, oh, I'll do that when I'm 85. Well, you don't know what you're going to be like at 85. And what you do at 40 is not what you're going to need to do at 60. Right. It's very different. So if you did it at 40 and you're 60, you need to take a second look. Yeah. What do you think think is is the most common either error in thinking or behavior or both that people... Well, the, the most common is not doing anything. Right. That's the most common. So, so... If anybody who's listening to this now says, okay, I didn't do anything, I need to go do something, then yes, please go do that. Get your powers of attorney, get your wills, get your advanced directives, just get them, get them Mm -hmm. um, and talk to an attorney about what you need and what your desires are specifically. I'd say the second most um, 
common error is people who have done them did them 10, 20, 15, 30 years ago, especially people who have little children. They panic. I want someone to take care of my kids. If anything happens to me, I want to make sure they have money if anything happens to me. And that's wonderful. And then, you know, I always say they take that and they shove it into their underwear drawer and then you never see it again. And you need to take it. Out of the underwear drawer. Like that usually, old pair of underwear you used this is, to be able to get into. But exactly. This is where I hold up the granny panties and say, you need the granny panties of the wills. It's fresh, it's clean, and it covers everything. That's what you need to do. So that's the second biggest problem is people don't update their documents. And boy, have things changed. There's a thing now. Um, it's called RUFIDA. I wish I could remember what it stands for without looking it up. But what it's about is giving someone access to your digital information. If you are sick and incapacitated, which is really important, or quite frankly, if you're dead, right? And that information, that acknowledgement that yes, I'm giving this person access has to be in those documents, not the password so much, but yes, this person has the authority to get into my digital assets. And then when your son comes, Margaret, show him where you keep your passwords, which you know, no, I don't keep them anywhere. I keep online, them in my head. Right. <laughs> and online so we, isn't great. And in your head is even worse. <laughs> so what I did, I, I sort of the night before the surgery, I went, what? Wait a minute. What if something happens? And so I gave him yeah. the major passwords I could think right. about. And we both kind of cried. And and then I said, you know, but I, I should have all those written down somewhere or kept yes. somewhere. I mean, everyone says don't write them down. But truthfully, if you can't get into your computer where your passwords are, not having them written down doesn't help you, right? Right, right? So you at least have to have your basic password somewhere where your loved one can have access to it, but legally also give them access to it in your documents. And that's new. That's not even in, I'm pretty sure that's not in my first book. It's probably in my second second or third book. Um, Mm -hmm. But things keep changing. And that's why you need to keep looking at these documents, say, every five years or so, because life changes. You know, I also... um, my dad was always really sad because after his dad died and his dad died when he was 15, there was such family uproar about the mm-hmm. will, but it ripped the family apart. And I think a lot of the suggestions that you make are trying to say, you know, you could be that family where siblings don't talk to each other anymore after someone is either you're, you're having to decide about caregiving or or you're having to decide about, you know, death issues or what's going to happen after death. It, it can rip families apart like nothing I've ever seen really before. And so your work and my work are the same in that regard, because in the sense that communication Mm -hmm. is always going to be the key. Right. Right. You have to you have to tell your children and your. it's so funny that you're saying this because I just my mother's 94 says down the street from me and she's a pip and a half. And your (laughs) listeners can go see us on TikTok if you want. I do fun little videos with my mom (laughs) all the time (laughs) on TikTok. Um And they're just, that's all I do is videos with my mom, who's 94, and she's so hilarious. Um, But I just said to myself, self, I said, we need, although her will is very recent, I would say five years old, I want to look at it again, because I'm not sure it does what she wants it to do, Mm. based on conversations that we've been having. So let's look at it, right? Let's talk to 
my siblings and, you know, let's see what it, you got to have, you have to, at least, this is the other thing that you asked me that I sort of didn't mention is people just, like you said, don't want to talk about this. Yeah. It's scary. It's uncomfortable, but you know, that's why and we also, have. It, I mean, my brother died three or three and a half years ago. It also, you, you can't talk about it without your own feelings about mortality or getting ill or losing control or, you know, these things that we fear that we just distract ourselves from and, you know, either have another beer or watch another baseball game mm-hmm. or go out and, you know, hunt something or fish something just mm-hmm. so that we're in control or or vape or whatever we do um, to, to distract ourselves from the reality. You don't get out of dying. So um, it's I, I just think that these conversations are they really can be trust builders they can be things that that offer clarity that offer trust that offer a sense and as you point out a sense of control to the person who is older and realizes that they have a disease that is going to weaken them or or cause their life to be something that frankly you know they wish didn't hadn't happened to them uh like bruce willis but at the same time it can and we don't get to pick <laughs> so it, it's not like going to a, a restaurant and saying oh i'll have that you know it's just not like that and but it's in the same vein it's much harder to have a disease than it is to have a conversation about what happens if I have a disease. Right. It's not that hard, my friends, which is why I wrote the 12 Conversations book. Yeah. It's really not that hard. It's five or six simple questions you need to ask yourself about what you want, what you think you want to do, um, and then get a lawyer to write it up for you. It, don't make it harder than it needs to be. Number one, there is nothing that is more mentally health challenging than being a caregiver. Mm-mm. It is it is so hard. And I, I I encourage you desperately to if you have especially if you have mental health benefits at your work or, you know, in your insurance or whatever, to use them because caregiving is a mental health stress. Do not think that it's not because it is. That's As many people one. found out during the pandemic when it was all of a sudden 24 seven kind of in your issue. face. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And if you are not yet a caregiver, but you see it coming down the road and you just happen to be going to a therapist, talk to them about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> talk to mm-hmm. them about, about this piece of your life that you see coming for you. And maybe, if you're having challenges having that conversation with that person or you yourself don't want to do it, but you know it has to be done, maybe you can get some tactics, some tools, because this is also about, sure, the legal tools are important. That's what I'm here to tell you about. Get mm-hmm. those legal tools. Mm-hmm. But it's also the communication tools, you know, the stress tools. There's so many tools that you need as a caregiver. And there's lots of people out there who can help you with that. I, I also, before we before we stop, I want to make the point. I, I you're right. Caregiving, you you think, oh, I'm just taking mom to get her hair done, or oh, I'm just taking dad to the post office, or I'm just doing this, or I'm just doing that. But those things add up. Mm-hmm. And you've got children of your own, or you've got a job of your own, or you've got a home of your own, or you you live two hours away, or whatever it happens to be. You're right. It's we can minimize. Oh, this is this shouldn't be. 
you know, I'm just doing that. But there, when you're just doing four or five or 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 of those things a month, then that's a lot. And it changes your life and it can definitely impact the relationship you're in with a spouse or a partner. Um, and actually, they may be going through something similar with their parents mm-hmm. so or aunts or uncles or whomever, grandparents. So it's just a conversation about it and and to say, gosh, this is, you know, maybe people say, oh, I, I'm, I'm loyal. This is what I'm supposed to do. But it, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, you can't grieve it or feel different feelings about it other than, you know, I, I, I just. I just have to do this. It's it's like it's more complex than that. Agreed. It is more complex than that. And you need to grant yourself the grace to understand that. Yeah. Wow. What how have you changed in 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 taking care of these folks that you've loved or you've cared for being an elder law um, specialist now? What what I mean, how have you changed, Kathy? Um. Being an author, a speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've changed my career. That's for one. Um, honestly, this is, I don't know if this is terrible or not. Some part of me, it, my, my psychological part of me says it probably is, but I, I've actually become kind of a tough love caregiver in a lot of ways. Mm, you mentioned that. The, the empathy is great, but the practicality is hard. And it's okay for you to recognize that and... Mm-hmm. And to have expectations of others, not the person that you're caring for, the person who should be helping you, the person, you know, even your partner. Um, It's okay to have expectations of others. And I think I often when I'm teaching that, that often becomes a question, Um, you know, but my mom won't talk about this or I can't. She won't go to the doctor or whatever. And I'm like, you, you have two choices. You can take the tough love perspective that this is what we're going to do if I'm going to be your helper, or you can tell them that they will have to suffer the consequences of that action. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. So tough love caregiving is hard, Mm -hmm. but it might be harder to be super empathetic and not allow yourself to realize that sometimes the person you're caring for also has to take the consequences of their actions. And it's really I what comes to mind is sort of the age old you you have to parent your parents kind of thing mm-hmm. that one of the points, for example, you made in the book was if there's a paid caregiver and your parent is being demeaning to them or saying things that aren't appropriate, that you have to say, you know, it's better to say, Mom, you can't talk to Jane like that, or right. you you need to apologize for what you just said, or yes. that's not appropriate. Jane will leave, and we really like Jane, and Jane does a good yes. idea. Jane does a good uh, job with you and for you, and and we can talk out what you don't like about Jane, but you know, talk about it with me, and then maybe if we need to make another agreement with Jane, that's one thing, but don't play out your whatever is going on with you. And, and say things to Jane that, that aren't helpful. The other thing, and that's so important, yes. The, the other thing that I'd like to bring up that I have changed, not changed my viewpoint about, but have, have really put into practice and want more women especially to do this is get paid for your caregiving. Yes. If your parents would pay Jane, they should pay you. 
Right. Especially if you don't have Jane coming, if you're doing all of it. And if you are taking a, especially if you're taking a financial hit, if you have, you know, gone from full time to part time work, if you have quit your job to take care of them, if you moved into their house and got rid of your apartment or you're paying rent over there, but living with them, if you're taking a financial hit and they have assets, they should pay you and you get a signed, paid caregiver agreement to protect Mm -hmm. all the parties. But that's Mm -hmm. really important. There are far too many unpaid family caregivers who can and should be paid. And we are recycling this, this, uh, women get to the point then in their lives where they have no retirement, they have no savings, they have no, because they stepped out of the workforce to be a caregiver one, two, three, seven, nine times, right? Mm -hmm. And there are even ways to pay someone if your parents have no assets and Medicaid will pay, they will pay family caregivers. There mm-hmm. are lots of organizations that have cropped up. Again, I said, do things change in the last two to five years that are now making sure you can get paid as a family caregiver. So so that's the other thing that I, I have learned and I have changed my mind about that. Yes, this is great to be about love, but there's nothing wrong with getting paid. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Wonderful point and very important point. So, well, after six years, I'm really glad we finally had this conversation. It Me sounds too, like Margaret. it's a little bit different a conversation than we would have had six years ago. So very much, yes. That's um, that's to everyone's benefit, I think. So I thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you to speak or to teach or um, just so, to just to yeah? Ask so you if you're in a workplace, in a corporate workplace, that would be awesome to have me come in and help teach your your team about not only caregiving but what benefits you may have at work that you're not using to help caregivers and that what you could bring into work. Uh, If you want to just, you know, look at my books, Kathy Sikorsky and see my name on the screen there, just type that in. I come up for the first three pages on Google, but I'm on Amazon. So all my books are available on Amazon and my website, which is being recreated as we speak um, is Kathy Sikorsky.com. Um, and that's C-A-T-H-Y-S-I-K-O-R-S-K-I, Kathy Sikorsky.com. Um, and, Anytime you have a question, Kathy Sikorsky, kathy.sikorsky at gmail.com, you are free to email me. I love to interact with people who have questions, and I will answer them as best I can and guide you to the resources that can really help you. Kathy, I admire you so much. Thank you Aww. very, very much. And you are really damn funny. So, <laughs> and you talked about that, that it's so important to keep your sense of humor. Please, you guys, you got to laugh about this because it's it's first of all, it's laugh worthy. And second of all, if you're not laughing, you're doing something else you don't want to do. <laughs> you know, my dad used to say because uh, he just infirmity after infirmity after disease after problem. He looked at me one time when he was about 81 or two and he said, you know, Margaret, God's not supposed to give you more than you can bear, but I got to talk to God because he's way overestimating my abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm on your dad's side. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If he he ever figured out how to do that conversation, you should put that out there. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure he did, but (laughs) thank you so, so very much. So great to spend time with you. I really loved it. Yeah, me too. Bye. That episode was 
packed with information. So I hope you got out a pencil and paper, whatever you use to take notes. But truly, her work is phenomenal. And she's so helpful to those of us who are caring for an older generation or for someone with chronic illness of any kind. She's really a gem. And if you reach out to her personally, she will get back with you. She's just that kind of person. Thanks so much for being here at Self Work. I know that your time is very valuable, and I'm honored that you're spending it here. Please take very good care of yourself, your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. <laughs>